Traveling the Vortex We've joined the Doctor as he travels to Vortex and arrive at episode 542 and season 6B is making me giddy. I won't have it. <laughs> I'm Keith. I'm Sean. I'm Glenn. How's it going, guys? Pretty good. I just got back from a movie. What did you see? We went and saw Dungeon and Dragons, Honor Among Thieves. Tonight was the sneak preview uh, fan event. And so me and my youngest decided, well, we're going to go see it. So we bought tickets and went to B&B and watched it. Um, it I, we paid a little bit more for the tickets, I'm assuming because it's a fan event. But I kind of thought there might be more. or a little disappointed. We did get this really kind of neat print which you know you get every time you go early to a b&b show no matter what it is usually but they also have these really cool little cloth maps and it's it's actual cloth but it's the dungeon Dun dungeons and dragons kind of world where they this is taking place and it's it's really nice little map i don't know that it was worth the extra four or five bucks i paid but um and then they had a little um <laughs> behind the scenes thing uh they had the cast kind of that introduced it introduced the show and they had a little behind, behind the things scenes thing that they showed and then they went in the movie and i'll tell you what i knew this movie was going to be good <laughs> because from the from the previews but man i so and i'm, I'm maybe just coming off the high of it but it, it is so good it is so much fun it's it's both funny and adventurous and exciting and thrilling and all of the characters are great this is what the first one should have been because dungeons and dragons is a bunch of guys sitting around pretending or guys and gals sitting pretending that they're in this fantasy world and role-playing but there's always joking around and camaraderie and fun and things like that that's what D&D is and this movie gets it right the first movie made that attempt you could tell they were trying to get there. They just did it wrong. This one does it right. And Chris Pine is great. Um, I can't remember the names of all the other actors, but they all do a fantastic job. Oh, Hugh Grant is great. Um, just a lot of fun. Um, the last thing I'll say about it, there is a, oh my gosh, they went there cameo. And I won't say any more. I can't wait till you guys see it. Especially you, Sean, because you will be just as excited as I was when I saw what I saw in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to blow anything, so I'm going to say any more. But yeah, it's really, wait. really good movie. Really good movie. I highly recommend it. It, uh, it just, you know, I remember the first one being, well, bad. There's no other way to say it. Um, it just, they, they all seem to take themselves a little too seriously. Yeah. I kind of agree with you. It's like, where's the fun? Yeah. It's supposed to be fun high adventure not high adventure and um saw the trailer for this one and just went there it is that's yeah. what it was missing we we, we just needed crisp pine <laughs> they got it right so we're very excited about it. Well, we they... went out and saw john wick chapter four yeah how's that i still haven't seen all of two and none of three but how was four <laughs> it's excellent <laughs> it might be the best one of the bunch uh, the you know by the time you get to the fourth one the stakes have risen considerably and uh you know obviously the plot is relatively the same um i joked with somebody online and said you know these films 
should be called John Wick Kills Everybody Again. <laughs> um, and they just simplified it by putting a number after it. Once again, these movies, I don't think they get enough credit for the way they're shot. Um, because, you know, you've got John Wick running through New York at night in the rain, and yet I can still see everything that's going on because of the way they've lit it. And that's a far cry from so many movies today that it's like, wow, it looked exciting. I wish I could have seen it, but it's too dark. And I know I'm getting old. But um, <laughs> yes, if uh, these kinds of things are in your wheelhouse, definitely go see this one because it's very good. I didn't go watch a movie. <laughs> did you do anything? I did read a book. Oh, okay. Uh, Red Shirts by John Scalzi. I think that's how you say his name. Um, it's a book of about these characters on a spaceship who start to notice that all of their cohorts start dying fairly quickly and regularly <laughs> because of the captains of said spaceship. <laughs> and so it's essentially red shirts on Star Trek becoming aware that they're the cannon fodder. And they go about trying to figure out why this is and how to solve it. And it takes some really interesting, very meta directions, and it's a lot of fun, and I highly recommend it. Hmm. Sean had a birthday. Did we talk about I that? I did have a birthday. And a birthday party. You did have a birthday party at the uh, pinball place, so it was all free pinball, which was tons of fun. We all and lined a surprise up. And, to Sean. Yeah, we all lined up and surprised <laughs> him. And and Mel came and brought him. And he thought he was coming to play pinball with just he and Mel and Shy. And nope, lo and behold, there we all were. It was a truly most excellent way to celebrate turning fifty. And I thank you both for coming and everybody else out there, uh, because uh, yeah, we I did not expect it. I was kind of setting up my own thing for for this week, which is still on. FYI. Yeah, we know how annoying is that. <laughs> <laughs> Having two birthday parties, geez. Especially when last week you said, oh, are you guys coming to the party? You hadn't said anything. And my first instinct was going to go, yeah, I'll be there Saturday. Uh, no, <laughs> can't say that. <laughs> I figured your first instinct would have been which party. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which party? Yeah, the, uh, the, despite everything, Mel managed to pull one over on me. Apparently this has been three months or so in the works. Yeah. And so when it yep. finally became time for me to go, eh, you know, I think I'm, I, th I think I want to party. I think I want to celebrate it. She's like, uh-huh, okay. <laughs> Hello, fellow time travelers, and welcome to the Doctor Who Target Book Club podcast, the only podcast to discuss, in story order, all the Doctor Who novelizations. My name is Tony Whit. And every two weeks or so, I'm joined by a two- to three-person discussion panel, including our so-called expert who's been a Who fan since 1979. That would be me. We also get the views of intermediate, casual, and novice fans who either have never seen the show or who have never read these books until these podcasts, including... Dalton Hughes. And... Alison Fitzsafried. You can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you find good podcasts, or even ones like ours. You're listening to Traveling the Vortex, a Direction Point podcast. Hi, I'm Rupert Booth. I am known as Paul Ferry. And my name is Barry Williams. Together, we host Time Ram. Time Ram's a cruel mistress. It's a random number generator. That also. We roll a number from 1 to 13, 
That's our doctor. Then one to three hundred for the story, and then we ram them together. Even if it doesn't make sense. Cruel, I tell you. Time round. Putting the wrong doctors in the wrong stories, so you don't have to. You're listening to Travelling the Vortex. All right, anything else? Well, we don't have any news this week, so... um, And no something new two-minute review. Uh, So let's just move on into our reviews. Now this week we're doing the war games and war crimes from the uh, short story book um, Short Trips. Um, However, I do want to say, uh, first of all, for listeners that may not be familiar with the premise of Season 6B, I'm going to give you a primer. Uh, Season season 6B was first termed in the 1995 book, The Discontinuity Guide, by Paul Cornell, Martin Day, and Keith Topping, who, among other fans, noticed too many inconsistencies following 6B to be ignored. So as we know in the final uh, serial of the season, The War Games, the doctors put on trial by the Time Lords for breaking the rules of non-interference. They sentenced him to an exile on Earth and forced him to regenerate, and we last see the Doctor spinning away from the screen. Now, of course, John Pertwee hadn't been cast yet at this time, so viewers at the time didn't see the full regeneration. And it was only after the series returned in 1970 that a newly regenerated Doctor <clears throat> stepped out of the TARDIS and collapsed. So it's simple, right? Well, not exactly, because the Doctor regenerated, landed on Earth, and began his exile, but not so fast... Immediately, there's evidence that supports what they call the Season 6B. A missing season of events that takes place between the War Games and Spearhead in Space. Now, for starters, when the regenerated Third Doctor first appears, he has several items he didn't have when audiences first saw him, such as a ring and a bracelet. And if the Second Doctor regenerated straight away, then his appearance in the Five Doctors and the Two Doctors don't square up. In both of those stories, the second doctor looks naturally older and his hair is now gray. Now you can just argue, well, of course he was older at the time that they shot that, but (laughs) if he was plucked out of time, he should look exactly the same. And they didn't go to the the, uh, extent of having wear a wig or anything like that. So one aspect brought up for the aforementioned in the aforementioned uh, discontinuity guide was that several plot points in the two doctors support the idea that the doctor is the one from after the war games. First, the second doctor is traveling once more with his companion, Jamie McCrimmon, and the two doctors. Jamie now has knowledge of the Time Lords, which he shouldn't at this point. And the doctor has a brand new TARDIS console. The doctor is working willingly for the Time Lords in this story, and he has a TARDIS recall device. And so Season 6B was born. So the theory was put forth that after being sentenced by the Time Lords, the Doctor wasn't forced to regenerate immediately. Instead, he was forced to work for the Celestial Intervention Agency, or the CIA, and he was sent on various missions by them before his eventual regeneration. Now, this would account for him working for the Time Lords in both the two Doctors, but also in the three Doctors in 1972. The theory was eventually made canon when Terence Dix acknowledged this in his novels, The Players, and World Game. And World Game is actually a second Doctor novel, which we're going to be tackling. The official Doctor Who website even acknowledged the Lost series by adding a page for Season 6B. So if you go to the Doctor Who website, it still exists. There is a Season 6B page. And then since there have been so many stories, since then there have been so many stories that have taken place during 6B, 
And I'd be remiss if I didn't point out that there is even one older origin to season 6B that some people don't even, they kind of overlook. The TV comic had been printing Doctor Who strip, strips from ni- since 1964. They were still printing at this time, and when the Doctor regenerated on screen without John Pertwee being cast, the producers of the comics decided to continue with the second Doctor. So these stories show the Doctor exiled on Earth, and in the story, The Nightwalkers, the second Doctor does regenerate into the third Doctor, as played by John Pertwee. So we're going to explore many of these stories in the next several months, probably not all of them. And per usual, we'll be using Andrew Curley's The Complete Guide, and it's found at ispider.org.uk slash Doctor Who. And we're going to use that for our placement of these stories. Also, we want to note that we will not cover everything. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff out there, especially the comics. They do get a bit long. Um, but just the ones we feel might be important to exploring the Season 6B arc. So there is your primer. That being said, as I mentioned before, we're reviewing the War Games novelization because we've already reviewed the uh, uh, War Games and what was the episode that I say 60 something way back 62 or something like, like 11 years ago we talked about the the television version so we're talking about the novelization and we're talking about war crimes again which is a short in the uh, first short trips book uh, by bbc books and ironically neither of these take place in season 6b this is just our setup for it so we we i felt like we needed to talk about these because um this is what really kicks off the season 6b so and we haven't and had suppose one 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 extra addendum to the primer is that if you are following along and going, what happened to the Time War? Don't panic. We're coming back to it. We're just going to sprinkle in some 6B stuff along with our 60th anniversary tie-in, along with the other things that we have going on in celebration of this year. So Exactly. Giving us a nice variety. You got it. Man does not live by Time War alone. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So The War Gains was written by uh, Malcolm Hulk, who worked on the television serialization with Terrence Dix. And uh, what did you guys think of the book? You want me to read the, the back Yeah, cover? go ahead. Let's do the synopsis. Mud, barbed wire, and the smell of death. The year was 1917. The TARDIS had materialized on the Western Front during the First World War. Or had it. For very soon, the doctor found himself pursued by the soldiers of ancient Rome, and then he and his companions were reliving the American Civil War of 1863. And was this really Earth, or was it just a mock-up created by the warlords? As Doctor Who solves the mystery, he has to admit that he is faced with an evil of such magnitude that he cannot combat it on his own. He has to call for the help of his own people, the Time Lords. So for the first time, it is revealed who is Doctor Who, a maverick Time Lord who borrowed the TARDIS without permission. By appealing to the Time Lords, he gives away his position in time and space. Thus comes about the trial of Doctor Who. I had no idea. I had no idea that was so lengthy. (laughs) It's not that bad. That's true. So what you got? Okay, so, all right. (laughs) I'm going to start because I enjoyed this book. And I enjoyed this book because... While I acknowledge that the War Games is a good story, it's a good television story even, I I enjoy the premise of the story, and I actually even enjoy the, the structure and how it's laid out. But it is 10, 10 episodes long, mm-hmm. and 
to me, it really feels very dragged out at times. And it's sometimes it's, I like to revisit the last couple of episodes of that because I, to me, those are the best. Um, but I rarely revisit. In fact, I don't probably haven't watched all of it since we reviewed it, you know, 11 years ago. Um, but the, the kicker of that is when I read the book, all of it kind of washed back. And I was like, and as I was reading it, I thought, you know, this is how it needs to be. This, this is like the right pace. This is the right. But as I got about three quarters of the way in, I really kind of felt like, oh, this might be one time where the book is being hindered by the length of pages that it can be because i really kind of feel like there's at a point a rush to the end to the trial and so i kind of felt that things were getting sped up unnecessarily towards the end i don't know what you guys think yeah i can see that a little bit once you kind of get into the central zone or whatever you want to call it it does feel like things kind of move a little quicker than it did get in there um, and I, I, I think the, the book does a good job of condensing a lot of stuff to it. And I think, I don't know if it's just because it's been so long since I've watched all of the war games. It also feels like it better explains what the overall plot of the warlords are. Yeah. Like I never feel like I fully under, like, at least until I read the book, I didn't don't know if I really understood what their ultimate goal was of why they were gathering all these war warriors or together to create a grand army I, I never really got a clear sense of what they were going to do with it and this i think does a good job of laying it out a little bit more i also don't shy away from the fact of hinting that the war chief is a time lord from the get-go so it's kind of interesting to see how they drop those hints not hints just flat out statements oh yeah early on. yeah yeah, they're not they're not shy about saying, you know, that he's a time lord and his people and that kind of thing. I, I sort of believe that probably has comes from uh, Hulk is writing this from the um, Hulk, however you say his name, is writing this from the script that, of course, they they put together. But also from with the foreknowledge that we now know as a reader that the doctor's a time lord. So you can That's kind true. of get to that stuff a little sooner and easier. And I always gave Sean a hard time because he, <laughs> he immediately joined in this faction of Dr. Who fans that believe that the war chief is one of the incarnations of the master. And, and I see where they're coming from when I watched that, but I never really got that that much as much as people do from the watching it but now reading it in here and i don't know if it's because sean brings it up so often that now i'm, I'm kind of convinced that he is a version of the master and somehow he has escaped at the end because even in the book the death isn't the death is sort of still left in in, in a mystery we we actually see him dispatched but we don't see what happens to the body afterwards. So I think I'm kind of on board with it now, Sean. See, for me, it went the other way. While I'll, some of it, you know, throughout the story, I could see her tones. But especially once we got to the end, it felt so much more final in the book that, no, he's dead and gone. Because there is no body left because they dispersed him. 
they made that I think what they did to him clearer in the book that they basically sent his body into the vortex and it became atoms and removed him from the timeline. See, I don't think so it they, described They dematerialized him as they they, they dematerialized him, isn't that what they said? Well, it's it's as the sit rats dematerializing as I thought what it was implying. And so that's no, I, why I that's why I sort of thought that he was shot collapsed in the because in the doorway of the sit rat and then the sit rat dematerializes. And that's what made me think, oh, maybe he does get away. But we don't know what happens. I mean, there could be a story there after that happens, but maybe I misread it. Maybe it was him dematerializing. See, I thought that, wait, now I might be confusing characters. Now, the warlord is definitely dispersed that way, but he's dispersed. Maybe that's who I'm He's dispersed of, that way. Yeah, because right. the war chief was, was running to escape, and the guards are the ones that shot him, and that was before the Time Lords even show up. Now the warlord himself is dematerialized and, and just taken out of time and existence. Uh, that itself. is one thing about the book is it was harder to keep them straight. Yeah, the because you don't have the visualization. I would agree with that yeah. because you've got the security chief, the war chief, and the warlord. And it seems yeah. like the warlord comes along a lot later in the book than he does even in the series. Even though the series has ten episodes, it feels like we were introduced to him a lot sooner. Yeah. Sean, you're being real quiet. I'm just sitting over here on a great big pile of I told you so. (laughs) (laughs) In uh, in support of my theory, um, I read the War Games very early in my Who fandom years. Uh, I used to go down to Comics and Fantasies when we had such a place and was fascinated um, by these Target books that they had a whole spinner rack of. Um, after I was exposed to the show. And the first one I bought was The Five Doctors. The second one I bought was The War Games. And this is very much down to judging a book by its cover because it has this absolutely phenomenal art, which if you've not seen it, you need to go look it up. But, uh, you know, there's a a war scene and mud and barbed wire, all the stuff that's described on the back of the book. And then a figure that looks, I think, very much like the Brigadier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. With the TARDIS looming in the background. He's got more of a, um, oh, old-time colonel mustache. But, yeah, I could see where that would invoke... uh, imagery in your head of the of the uh, brigadier right well and he's standing next to a roman centurion so obviously we're, we've got some sort of time in play right right uh, you know here um but the doctor is not on the cover of this book so when i sat down to read it i didn't have anything to go on with patrick troughton other than the five doctors, because that was the first time I was exposed to him. And because Tom Baker was such a huge part of my introduction to who that's who my brain kept trying to insert into this story. And it didn't quite work <laughs> like there Most of it was, you know, okay, but it just didn't quite work. And it wasn't until years later that after I'd had some some Patrick under my belt, 
that I actually went back and reread the story. I, I couldn't tell you how many times I read this story over and over and over again as a kid. <laughs> um, because I did. I, I mowed through this book repeatedly. Loved it. So high for it. And um, I think that kind of met with some of my initial not wanting to watch the serial. Because, well, I've already read it. That can't be as good as the book. Right. You know, well, oh, and it's I'll, ten parts. Oh. <laughs> also realizing, also later realizing that it is a different Doctor when you were probably envisioning the fourth Doctor, because that's who you were seeing on television at the time. Yeah, it, it took a long while for me to finally reconcile those two with Jamie and Zoe kind of being the, the linchpins of it. And then it became easier to put Patrick in there. Yeah. It's it's funny you say that about the book because I think this is at the time that there was an edict from the publishers that they if it was a story that featured a doctor previous to Tom Baker, then they weren't allowed to put the doctor on the cover because the doctor on TV was the doctor that was being promoted. So if they were doing a book, albeit a book from a previous you know season or, or previous doctor they weren't allowed to put the doctor on the cover so you'll find a lot of books in this era and i think this one was 1979 you'll see a lot of books that were published in that era that don't have the doctor on the on the cover yeah and there are two things to you know, to go along with what you said earlier <clears throat> that um, malcolm hulk had been very hampered by the target style of <laughs> adapting these things which the joke was you write 144 pages and then stop. And that's how the, all of the books are. This is your target length. This is where you are allowed to, to adapt. And so, you know, adapting something that's 10 freaking episodes to 144 pages is, you know, daunting to say the least. Yeah, so, yeah. yes, it moves at a much better pace. And in a way that causes a couple of things to suffer. Um on the other hand, this was written well after the Master had been established, not only as a character and foil for the Doctor, but, um, you know, his, his, his uh, Moriarty. And there's a line uh, toward the end of the book where the, the, the War Chief says something to the effect of, well, you know, there's only one person I really could be. That, for me, is what cemented the whole argument reading that line and then watching the episode and going, yeah, totally. He's the master. Yeah. I, I 100% am, am behind that because of that line, which is not in the serial. Interestingly enough. Right. Right. <laughs> and as far as his, uh, you know, well, it would, it would death, be because obviously yeah. that was done beforehand. So, but as far as his ambiguous death, hey, how many times have we flat out seen the master killed? Right. Right. I mean, just, <laughs> He's been shot. He's been stabbed. He's been barbecued. He's been, and he comes back, and it's like I've stopped wondering at this point. I don't even need the show to hand wave it away for me and explain how. Would I like it? Yeah, there's a part of me that would, but nah, I don't need it. <laughs> it's going well, to. Well, looking, looking back, it looks like he did, in the book he just slips away. Yeah, well, like he wasn't even shot. He just oh, he was away okay. when he when he was calling for when the, while the doctor is calling for the. Time Lords, he just disappears. Okay, because I thought I remember the guards chasing him and shooting him, and then, like, one of the sit rats is dematerializing at the time. I thought, and I thought that was later, later when the, later than when the doctor had called for the Time Lords. So, but I may have just been misremembering it. 
Yeah, this is one of a handful where I think I actually like the book better than the serial. Normally, they're just kind of a, a good way to, you know, get a fix in between times when Doctor Who wasn't readily available on your shelf. One thing I did notice was that Lady Jennifer really disappears in the second half of the book more so than I ever remember her doing in the actual televised. Yeah, I wondered about that, too. And I'm glad you said something, because I thought the same thing that she and, and she does show back up briefly a little ways after she has disappeared, but only for that uh, conversation with uh, the other uh, and I can't remember names very well, but the other guy that was helping them, they have that little conversation, Carstairs. but then, yeah, Carstairs, but then that was it. And so I wondered the same thing. I couldn't remember if she disappeared so early in the, the serial as she did in this book. So I'm glad you said that. Cause I, I, I was maybe wasn't misremembering. that it we done or did we lose everybody again <laughs> i was trying to think if there was one other thing i wanted to bring up but i can't remember now it's not there's not a lot to say because you know i, I i'm kind of glad we read the novelization of this i'm always glad to read the novelization because you do kind of get into their heads a little bit more especially when it's written by somebody that worked closely with the script in the first place and so it's kind of nice that they get that freedom and and that you know unrestrained uh budget tv budget uh to be able to kind of flesh things out get inside the heads of people this one is a little more straightforward they don't embellish a whole lot of course there's not a lot that needs back yeah just it there's 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 not a lot to needed to embellish upon uh because they're you know constricted to that 143 pages but um so there's not, there's not a lot of, you can say about this book, but I, I enjoyed it. It was nice to revisit the story without sitting down, you know, for <laughs> three and a half hours of Doctor Who, uh, of one story that, that at times feels kind of dragged out. But I do feel like the book could have restructured things a little better, so it wasn't so much capture escape as early on as it was and spent more time in the latter half, which it seems like it rushes through more. I think so too, but I think one of the things that also would have benefited from this book was I think I was quite surprised that the chapter stops weren't the episode stops because there are the episodes have a lot of good cliffhangers. I remember that about the story, and especially the uh, firing squad in the first episode, and. I kind of felt like the book should have had chapter stops at those places as well. And it would have paced a little better in, in certain cases, but they didn't do that. There, there will be obvious places where a chapter goes on past where that particular episode would have stopped and the next week would have picked up. So I was kind of surprised that he didn't take an advantage of that. You know, I've thought that about every single TARDIS book I've read. Really? Or, was... or Target book. Yeah, yeah. It always seems like there is... It's never exactly at the same chapter. Like yeah. it may not be like the, the the cliffhangers are never always at the end of a chapter like I expect them to I, be. I think you're right, and, but there's there was an exception because I think we I think it, it, it stuck out. It does happen. Yeah, because it stuck but out it's not with very one of, It stuck out with one of the books, and I think you even pointed that out that you were surprised that they did that. 
But this one especially, because the other ones, it's a little harder because, you know, there's not as many episodes. And getting that to kind of shake out to be the right amount of chapters, it makes it a little harder. This one being 11 chapters instead of 10. Yeah. You know, they obviously they stretched out. That's the other thing I don't remember from the book or from the, the televised is they're escaping as much as they do. Do they yeah. go? Th- they go through all that in the actual televised. They run away in the TARDIS and then get. They do back. because I think that was the annoying thing is because after they've left the chateau and they get captured and they take they're taken to the German zone, and then they go through that whole rigmarole and he's about to fire. <laughs> he's going to face another firing no, squad, but we don't go there. And then then they're captured and taken to the other, uh, like the prison place. And then they end up back at the chateau, and I remember that being, you know, very much capture and release, capture and release, or capture and escape rather. No, what what I mean is, I don't remember, you know, the Doctor calling the Time Lords, and then him and jo- uh, oh. Zoe and Jamie running off. I, I seem I, in my mind, it goes from he calls the Time Lords, bam, we're at a trial. Yeah, that is, yeah, that's embellished. Yeah, it, it's it, that is embellished in the book. They okay. it, that there's not they they try to escape and I think they have the the force field scene is in the in that episode but yeah no yeah, they, they, they never don't actually get the TARDIS. right yeah they don't escape uh, briefly off world which helps feed into kind of the next story we're going to be doing because that's yeah. where exactly that's set. well let's talk a little bit about the next story. Um, because I don't know what the heck I read, and I need you guys. I, don't, I need you I, guys I to tell the me. Half. <laughs> yeah, I understood well, the latter half. Of yeah, <laughs> I don't. I suppose there's a synopsis because it's just one story in that short trips um, book. But um, what's it called? War crimes. Yeah, it's called war crimes. I. I the other thing that I think that, that that threw me off about this story, and maybe it does mentioned this in the novelization but i don't remember this at all from the tv series all of the people that were taken out of time were humans from earth right they didn't take anybody from other planets not that they ever mentioned okay because this this thing that they send back to its world is obviously from a different planet and I like the idea of after the battles, the ones that were that failed, the warlords would take and experiment on them and make them, you know, into something more suitable as as a fighting, you know, machine. Basically, I liked that idea. It was very clever, but it really took me out of things because I could not figure out number one what was happening here because they do set it up with talking about those that were displaced that they couldn't really send back to their time. They just kind of sent them back as is, which I thought was bizarre as well. But then it has this whole, it's going through the mind of, you know, it's got its tribe and it's been displaced and they have this sort of uh, by gender transformation thing that happens with, and it it just, it, it spends a lot of time on that before the Dr. Jamie and Zoe show up too late because now it has died because the corrosive materials that are left in it, the implanted things, I, I presume is what killed it when it went into the water. 
which in a way was kind of a sweet release for it because it was not going to be able to rejoin its tribe. It was becoming, uh, going against its instincts and, and being overcome by its uh, reprogramming that was done. So it was sort of a sweet release for that particular creature, but they show up too late and then they, they aren't able to do anything for it. So I, I sit here and read this and I think, what is the point of this story at all? That's where I was at the end of it. And you got a lot more out of it than I did. <laughs> Agreed. Um, I fought really hard to try and make this like a, a Cro-Magnon man, like caveman from, from, from earth mm -hmm. because of the setup and because of what we had been exposed to in the war games. These were all from human timeframes, human wars. And so it's like, okay, so maybe that's what they're doing. And they've experimented on, on this, this thing and, you know, trying to make him more, this side or the other then we get into the whole tribe interplay with well the women are the thinkers and the men are the, the it's like well okay that still kind of works and then we started talking about the bisex nature of it and it was like hmm <laughs> no definitely leaning more toward alien now i mean i suppose in theory we could have evolved some 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 changing organs at that point and then he falls into an ocean that dissolves him and it's like oh no this is totally another planet i can't make this fit any other yeah, way yeah. <laughs> so now you've just in, you, you've just completely introduced a whole new thing for no reason and while i kind of like the idea of the warlords being more thorough and that it's not just our little warlike planet that they're interested in, that they took things from all over the place. That's kind of an appealing idea. But this was not the way to establish that. It, it just wound up being a kind of um, anthropological anthropological curiosity versus a, a story with any meaning uh, to it. And then, as you said, Glenn, our, our heroes show up at the end, and they're too late to do anything about it other than to go, hmm, well, I wonder what happened. Okay, back in the Tartars. And we're running again. It's like, well, eh. <laughs> no. and, and knowing the second doctor, he can't really control the TARDIS very well. So the, what are the odds that they would bump into somebody that Warlords replaced? Right, right. <laughs> I mean, the fact of just that alone doesn't seem very likely. Well, it's, yeah. it's that coincidental thing, and it's meant to tie it sort of together with their running around trying to escape from the Time Lords, but it just, it it seems too coincidental. Yeah, I was, was not a fan of the story. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> Keith, I did find the... Uh, scene where they shoot the war chief so yeah i found that too yeah so. and he's but but it doesn't it doesn't imply that i mean it's just they the, the guards go to pick up the carcass but then that's it they don't there's nothing beyond he, that so he, he's gone right he's exactly that's so. that yeah yeah interesting though yeah i i, I i'm glad we read this little short um because it does fit you know within the confines of the war games but it, to me it's kind of an unnecessary story um i think somebody was trying to 
somebody tried to <laughs> expand on the outcomes of the war games, but to me they went they just they went a wrong direction because they implied things that I don't think the book or the television series even even hinted to. So I, I'm just I'm not sure why it went that way. So I didn't care for it that much, but oh well. And of all the things, if if you were given the opportunity to write a short story and we want it to tie into the war games. Okay. Of all the things you could come up with, this was it. That, I think, to me, is the most flabbergasting piece of, of the puzzle here. Is I, <laughs> I, I really want to know where the writer was coming from yeah and yeah. you know was did, did you have you know biology homework that you were stuck on and this kind of became the diversion <laughs> were you writing a paper for a cultural anthropology place and you know decided oh it's it would make a great doctor who story because it didn't i i just you, you've got the war games that's such a lush and fertile playground well and yet this <laughs> I, I i what i think what could have been interesting is this story revealing maybe talking more about these experiments that we don't know were going on and these other you know i think you could have done a story that uh, uh, reveals that the warlords actually had taken other and i think maybe that's sort of where they were trying to do here but had taken other species from other planets and they did do these experiments on them. And I think that, you know, uncovering that and kind of broadening out on that idea would have been good. But we take one single focus to this one particular being and it doesn't work because it's so funneled into this one idea. And maybe that's the nature of the, the short story because there wasn't a lot of room to expand on. But I think it would have been a little more fascinating to say, oh, by the way... What nobody knew was the warlords were doing this and just kind of build a story around that. That might have been interesting, but this one this one takes too long to even postulate the idea of that. Or too, sh too short, and it just dwells on something that I think is unnecessary. Well, so, and, and introduce the Doctor and his companions sooner, sooner and have them yeah. actually have an impact on the story. Right, right. Or if you're going to take this this grand concept of all these other races and drill down to one and give us just one individual that's been impacted by this. Okay, fine. Make me care. Yeah. 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 Let, 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 let's talk about the inner uh, emotions of somebody who's trying to get back to their family. Yeah. And give me something about a, you know, give me a touching reunion scene, even if you're going to kill him off later. Yeah. Just, just give me something. <laughs> to laugh I think that's, instead of, that's the problem nothing. with this is that the, uh, the being or the entity that they they choose to to dwell on is primitive enough that it's just more of a what's going through their primitive mind rather than some of that real rationalization that they could have somebody with more from a more advanced civilization it might have worked better yeah and if, if you're going to go with the primitive i think that works better in the large scale yes yes uh, sense of, of storytelling yeah but if you're going to narrow down I, I i need a protagonist i need somebody to uh to root for now, one of the things that we didn't include in our uh, reading assignment, because I actually stumbled across this later, I didn't realize this when I was doing my 6B research, but um, in the book, Doctor Who, 
uh, or the making of Doctor Who, which was a book that was written in the 1970s um, about the making of the series. And at the time, uh, John Pertwee would have been um, on uh, the air as the Doctor. Um, in the middle of this nonfiction book, there is a fictionalized account uh, that Terence Dix writes about the trial of Doctor Who. And at about page 39, there's a little bit of a, of a setup. And there, and in the guise or in the style of court documents, there are uh, the High Court of Time Lords indictment against, and then there's a mathematical formula, which presumably is the doctor's name. Uh, well, known as reference the fact that that's a doctor's yeah, name. Yeah, known as the doctor. And, oh, that's right, because it says it will be noted that the doctor's indicated his real name and mathematical formula. Um, but then, you know, there's there's the indictment against him. And then there is the plea of defense. And then there is a summary of travels. And it's it's a neat way to kind of do a uh, frame the events of 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 the trial and at the same time rehashing the past, you know, what, 10 years of Doctor Who at the time, maybe 15 years of Doctor Who at the time. And so I thought that was kind of neat. Now, it does get, it is just kind of the the um, the summary of the life, really is just a the greatest hits of <laughs> of the Doctor's life, going through the a first Doctor, second Doctor. Yeah, of exactly. Each, of each individual story. And then, of course, there's one more brief, which is the outcome of the trial. And I think what I liked about that is the outcome of the trial really sort of drill, drills down to the, the importance that they realize that the reason why they, instead of dematerializing the doctor, the reason why, I mean, we get the, the dropped line in the, in the show and I think they a little bit flesh it out a little bit better in the book that they obviously, they realized that the doctor was doing good, that he didn't deserve dematerialization and that, you know, he need, still he still was a good a force for good, and so that's why he ends up with the sentence he gets. But I think this particular court briefs they kind of expand on that and kind of the, kind of flesh that out a little more. And it's unnecessary, but it really kind of frames it a little bit better, I think. And it was kind of an interesting little read to do this, and I thought it was a clever way to do it by doing the court briefs. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cool too. They all say who. Do you collect Doctor Who? Do you have Doctor Who items and you don't know you collect Doctor Who? For all things in the Doctor Who collecting world, tune in to the Doctor Who Collectors Podcast, a Direction Point Network podcast. I am Larry Van Rusbergen, your host, and I have been collecting Doctor Who for 40 years. With popular features like collection protection and the most outrageous offer, we have a lot of fun. Available anywhere you get your podcasts. You're listening to Traveling the Vortex, a Direction Point Network podcast. You are invited on an adventure across all of time and space, in a completely random order. It's the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. Jump in the TARDIS with your hosts, Eric Goldbranson, Asad Cheshki, and Matthew Kressel. Explore Doctor Who TV stories, audio adventures, and books, both novels and non-fiction. The Police Box in the Junkyard podcast. It's the entire Hooniverse. On Shuffle, the Police Box in the Junkyard podcast is a member of the Direction Point Network and is available about once a month wherever you find your podcasts. You are listening to Traveling the Vortex. 
So there you go. Our next uh, Season 6B that we'll be doing will actually be a Season 6B story. It'll be a, something taking place uh, in between. And, and, of course, we've got that coming up on the uh, schedule. Speaking of the schedule, uh, Sean, what do we got coming up? Uh, well, uh, next up, we're going to dip back into the Time War with the War Doctor Begins. War, or no, uh, Battlegrounds. War Doctor Begins 3 battlegrounds uh so uh going back into uh that along with a fun little uh comic that uh glenn found for us that supposedly is called dalek the astounding untold no, no, history no no, no no oh that's not it ambush is the story oh ambush is the story it's found in the book dalek the astounding uh the astonishing no yes aston no astounding back astounding down. Dalek, the astounding untold history of the greatest enemies of the universe. It's in that book, which is a book about the Daleks, but this particular two-page comic is in there called Ambush. That makes far more sense now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because I kept looking for this thing. I couldn't find it anywhere, but I read Ambush. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we'll cover that. <laughs> <laughs> and then if I'm not mistaken, we go back to our 60th anniversary tie-in. Uh, with some uh, some comics, am I right? That's correct. Yeah, we're going to be Iron comics Legion. and audio. We're going to be uh, looking uh, at uh, audio. yeah. We're going to be looking Iron at the Legion uh, and the Star Beast. Yeah. So um, what we're doing here is the the as people may have known from seeing the trailer, uh, beep to meep shows up, and then there are some uh, and I can't remember what they're called. There's some sort of warriors that are also in the the comics. Well. Beep the Meep actually comes from a line that is actually the Star Beast, but in order to kind of set that up, we felt like we needed to do chronological. So we're going back to the Iron Legion, which really technically doesn't have anything to do with the 60th anniversary, but as we do the Iron Legion Star Beast arc, we'll eventually get up to the Beep, to Beep the Meep materials. So we kind of felt like we needed to do those in order, in order to get to Beep the Meep so that we can use that tie-in later in the year when we're actually properly introduced to Beep, Beep, Beep on uh, on air. So we that's the reason for that. story before we tell you that. That's one. right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that was an easier way to say it than my convoluted explanation. It's, uh, Keith, it's because we love you. <laughs> yeah, things in order. Look at that. The novelty of it. Well, we got a lot more great things ahead, more Season 6B, more 60th Anniversary tie-ins, and more Time War. So looking forward to all of that. And, of course, you can continue to follow us on TravelingWithVortex.com. That's where you'll find the podcast. And if you get any value out of the podcast, why not consider putting some value back into it? Uh, you can do that by clicking on that Patreon link and supporting us. And when you become a patron of the podcast, you unlock more audios and specials from us. And in fact, we've got our third edition of the Great Traveling the Vortex Trivia Quiz Show uh, that's going up here very, very soon for our Patreon members. Also, please consider giving us a five-star review wherever you subscribe to the podcast and make sure you join in on the conversation on our listeners forum on Facebook. We want to hear you guys talk about the 60th and get some, uh, get some uh, topics out there that we can discuss. Anything else we need to cover before we close this one? If not, until next time, I'm Glenn. I'm Sean. No, I'm Keith. Cheers. Good night, everybody. Be seeing you. Thanks for listening. You have been listening to Traveling the Vortex. Doctor Who and all of its associated programs are owned and trademarked by the BBC. 
No infringement is intended or implied. Direction point! Direction point! A Doctor Who Podcast Network.